enthusiasm with multi-tonal voice. Yes. 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 Are we going? Everything's recording. Oh, we're actually recording. Yes, just whenever you want, start, feel free. Well, I, crazy. Well, I want. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, tell me about your stag do. Stag do. <laughs> I think I think you made a very fetching aubergine. Thank you. <laughs> well, I had two stag do's. The first one was like two days camping out, like in the South Downs, um, where Kirk's brother Greg, um, he's obviously lives in LA, and um, at one point we stopped. Um, he, he wasn't there with us, and we stopped in a pub to just get a drink. And I ordered, ordered something from behind the bar, and it was him serving. He'd like <laughs> he'd like snuck back without me knowing, <laughs> so that was pretty trippy. Um, and then we spent a sort of big night out in Brighton, and I was yeah I was dressed as an aubergine. Mm. Uh, Brighton is like the staple stag do place, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, isn't it? A little bit of fluff coming out. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's better. The <laughs> but uh, didn't you you went to the you darts, didn't you? Well, yeah. You, so you thought you were going to look odd, but then every other person <laughs> was dressed like a vegetable. Well, yeah. Everyone, everyone else was dressed super weird, and in fact, the guys that weren't dressed up, I was the one that like fitted right in. Yeah. Um, and it was funny actually. We sit sit next to this person dressed as a lobster. And I was re- really like good friends with them. We we're all a bit drunk and getting like you know just a bit rough and stuff. Took the head off. It was a woman. I wouldn't have minded but I'd have been a bit less rough if I'd have known (laughs) I wouldn't just like go back to my place kicking her head in was probably a bit bit oh Oh, dear oh that's Mm. cool so I don't know if Kirk's really like kind of filled you in on what this podcast is about but we're just kind of just chatting yeah faffing about faffing about yeah so yeah we just figure if we if we do it once a week for a year then conversation skills and addiction can only improve yeah totally but it's actually just strangely oh, i found it quite strangely enjoyable just setting like it, you rarely actually set aside an act just an hour mm. and just have a chat mm-hmm. I don't know, unless you're in the pub yeah like you re- it, something you rarely do sober i think but even uh, then they sort of get derailed there's often. a bit of a buffer yeah. isn't there? yeah i think i discovered that with your um cult meetings yeah i was like Oh, <laughs> I like yeah. It's like yeah. It's pretty, you pretty much only have these sorts of conversations sitting in a pub, and then they're substandard because everyone <laughs> yeah. slowly gets more drunk and talks over each other. Yeah, exactly. And you can't remember what you spoke about. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, I think yeah. The the idea for that those those cult meetings. Um, Perhaps um, explain what what is it you do <laughs> and where what's the origin? Well, of this? yeah, you sacrifice children. So, <laughs> so, so, well, about a year ago, I just um, um, I sort of noticed that people were sharing things and making sort of comments on Facebook about political stuff, and obviously everything everything was like very politically like charged at the time, Brexit and Trump getting in, and um, I just thought why not just rent out a room in some local community centre, um, £7 an hour, didn't think it was too bad, and, uh, and just have some rough themes, you know, political, politically related, just to have a semi-structured conversation about it, because re- I, really I got to 30 and I thought, uh, when I wake up tomorrow I'm going to understand politics and <laughs> the way the world works, and I woke up and I was like none the wiser, and I thought, well, oh, <laughs> You know, I don't know what any of the words meant, capitalism or communism. So even if I had to give all of the t- 
talks or presentations at least it would give me some incentive to just you know look look these things up so it's more we yeah we sort of have these two hour conversations that's roughly sort of political theory i'd, I'd say um mm. some sometimes it's about current events yeah have you read um we've spoken about um the sapiens book and ah we, yeah no harari it's I've, I've sort of listened to it about three times now but it's so good isn't it yeah it's such a such a, just a great cover so many different such a broad range of topics but he just I don't know, he gets it so spot on doesn't he yeah he does in fact i listened to his interview with sam harris oh that was good as um, well yeah a couple of days ago and he's just extremely eloquent and i always feel super embarrassed when someone whose first language isn't english mm. like talks so eloquently mm. and you know i can't say anything beyond like bonjour and this guy is giving this like rousing prose about you know the history of yeah. humanity essentially i think it was the first sort of concise um description of how like modern economics works and has mm -hmm. come to be that i've ever heard and i kind of i kind of went oh like it's quite quite enlightening yeah it's not saying you expect expected to be in the book but there's quite a lot of different topics he covers aren't there yeah and i, I was sort of expecting it to be more about like prehistory actually mm. whereas like that if i remember rightly was only a very small fraction of the beginning of the book mm. and i suppose in some sense that makes yeah. sense and i suppose because he focuses i guess it's the summary of the change isn't it yeah so if we lived a certain way and it didn't change for thousands of years yeah there's sort of nothing else to you're not talking about what specific people did are, are you if it, i mean if it doesn't change yeah guess he makes that no exact point. point doesn't he like he says um if you sent he used the examples of armies but he said if you sent like the roman army back to uh, like the, um middle um against an army in the middle ages they'd probably be pretty well balanced whereas within the last few centuries even if you sent an army from the 90s back to the 70s there would be absolutely it would be like so one-sided mm. yeah um so i guess i suppose like you say if he's looking at change then that has mostly happened recently mm. have you ever fantasized about turning up to a medieval battle with a machine gun <laughs> <laughs> you know what quite funny enough i was thinking yeah. about something not too far off today because yeah. we was in Battlesbridge, and i found out that like, you know they have little plaques and they say like the history and origin and Battlesbridge, like that area is a thousand years old and I was like, then I was looking at a few other buildings and I'm like, 1500, 1600. I'm thinking like, what would it have been like? Like, you know, living in the in that time. And then a jump from like five centuries. And then just thinking about only the last 20 years, how crazy everything's advanced <laughs> yeah. in 20 years. And it's so cumulative. You're thinking like, what would happen in another 20 years? Mm. Or 50 years? Or like in 100 years? Like how insane yeah. I mean, often, things can pro progress. Yeah. I often say this it's, it's amazing how quickly humans just adapt and it like, becomes a new normal and you just you can just get on with it don't you but I don't know do you I mean it seems this is pro it's probably the biggest change in a single in a generation that's ever happened in human history well, yeah. do you yeah. think, I think, think that's I don't, I don't think that's an overstatement no <laughs> no for sure like this we're living for a technological revolution so much has changed I don't think we quite sort of acknowledge that uh, well, very the, often the internet only started in the 90s and i mean it yeah. feels like it's been around forever i know it's like yeah i talked talk to my granddad and 
he, <laughs> he sort of lived through just such incredible change. It's <laughs> yeah. like, no wonder he can't he can't operate his TV remote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do yeah. worry about getting to that He's stage gone. where yeah. we're the ones going, put your DVD in, they're going, what's a DVD? I know, yeah. I th- yeah, think about that. No, everything's going to be like those chips in your head. <laughs> but didn't Elon Musk say he like met up was it with Tim Cook and like a few other big big names and said you need to slow down on this AI mm. progression because it's way too quick. Yeah. Like e- Elon Musk, yeah, kept saying it and I think he's reached a point he's like, no one's listening to me. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah. well, Sam Harris takes that position as well, I think. Mm. You know, at least have some sort of like ethical framework before you mm. jump ahead. Yeah. I was thinking about this with sort of age. I definitely think there's a there's a bit of a culture. Do you think there's a bit of a culture of people not in this country not respecting their elders enough? What in the UK, in the UK or yeah, elsewhere? I, I guess. Well, I'm speaking Cause I, only because I live in the UK. I don't think because there's have some... any other uh, <laughs> any other reference points. I'd imagine elsewhere there would have been more respect. There's, there's a more of a yeah. more of a like foundation on hierarchy in the elders. Yeah. Rather than, but because I was thinking that, but I feel I wonder whether sort of tribal cultures have more. I wonder whether because things are changing so rapidly with technology, that. Like we said, maybe older people's their their sort of ancient wisdom <laughs> is no longer useful because yeah, they don't know how to operate relevant. the MacBook. <laughs> no, <laughs> Whereas if you're in a tribal culture, nothing's you're still in the same forest and yeah. all that all that mm-hmm. knowledge of what plant to eat and what to do at certain times of year and yeah. how to it's kind of all that wisdom is stored and they're, they're I think everything's going to work in a circle because everything progresses and then we just repeat history just repeats itself all the time so we're going to get that point where we're like yeah we we know more than you like to the older guys and then as soon as we come to that eight, that point the, the new the generation will be like we know oh, yeah. way more than you oh, and yeah, then we'll just we'll be keep going around I think like the, the current zeitgeist is just that um, it, we sort of rebel against any type of authority mm. and like that's ever since the enlightenment really um you know before then it was just like if you wanted answers you just go to the vicar or go to the elders and then people went you know it actually we don't get knowledge from authority anymore it's now empiricism um and maybe that is sort of taken to the extreme now Mm. um but it it almost gives you a if that is the case it almost gives you a guide then on on the best way to get old because you if you want to stay useful you should try and ingrain the knowledge that is not relevant uh, so is not sort of um just based in the current sort of technology so yeah yeah know what yes because it's timeless it's knowledge. timeless yeah wisdom. some sort of timeless yeah yes so stuff about you know human nature those type of things yeah just sort of staying staying curious and so i mean you do is is being discovered now that you I think we have a lot more neuroplasticity than mm-hmm. previously thought. What's that? Old, neuroplasticity. Just the ability to learn and change your you brain structure through learning. I think this also. Retained. I was having a conversation with Viv, my brother, today, and was saying how like just n- recently we're getting at that point, and like, tell me if you think the same way, that social media is kind of at this plateau, where 
because it was I brought it up because we was talking to about a friend of mine that just doesn't have very good um, attention span, mm-hmm. and it's always social media, always like checking things, and like podcasts are becoming so more prevalent now. People just want to have a conversation and listen and talk. Mm. And what was my point? <laughs> it was that I don't know, I'm trying to remember now. I'll come back to it. It was all about technology, and we're coming to a point where it's gonna, it's reversing itself now. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, 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 I kind of feel that with podcasts. I almost feel like we've come full circle, and now we, podcast is almost that sitting round, sitting round the campfire, story telling stories, isn't it? It's well, whenever that, I listen like to a primal. podcast that is just people having conversations. I almost sort of put myself there and go, okay, that's interesting. Sometimes I pause it and think, like, oh, what would I have said then? Mm. Um, yeah. Do you ever know the answer to something they're wondering about? And you <laughs> yeah. go, oh, well, I wish I was there. Yeah. I could tell them. And then you're like, oh, this was recorded a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like comments, but what actually? <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm like super interested in, you know, memory and like how the brain works. And, you know, I don't know a lot about it. But I watched this really interesting documentary recently about. Um, they've done experiments with mice where the, the the genome of the mice has been spliced in some ways with a certain type of um, algae, I believe it is, um, which means that um, they just they act normally. Um, if, if you then inject the mouse with a certain chemical before it has some experience, the neural pathways that are created during that experience, i.e. like the memory, the physical like instantiation of the memory, um, has been the algae part of it, this light sensitive algae part of it has been activated by this chemical. So when this memory is formed, it is sensitive to light. So then what that means is that you can essentially shine a laser directly onto its brain, which they do with some look pretty cruel experiments to be quite honest, but <laughs> they shine a laser into into the brain it activates that previous memory and it changes the behavior of the, the mouse. So the memory that was, so in, in the particular example I saw, they injected the, the, the mouse with this particular chemical while it was in this really happy sort of safe environment. The memory of that safety was formed with this light sensitive algae. Then they put it in a dangerous environment where it was scared. They sh- shined the laser straight onto its brain and it acted calm and relaxed again as if it was in the first mm. that's, a, that's a duck shit <laughs> so so yeah the inference is that you could possibly do that with humans and you could just trigger yeah. whatever memories you fancied yeah. that's wow. like you know like magicians when they're like and you'll snap out of it or like <laughs> yeah. yeah it was that's basically that. like a yeah. chem- chemical version of that just whip out the mag light and you start oh <laughs> to like <laughs> on a really bad day and, just, ding, <laughs> and that's some like black mirror stuff I'm just crazy. But I was just remembered what I was wanted to say, and I was talking about when technology is getting too advanced and social media is becoming way too um, buffered. Like there's always a buffer between conversations. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, you know, when like two people are having an argument, but when they're in person, they wouldn't have that. And I think it's people not having enough conversation, like just talking and listening. And our listening skills are so crap now. Mm-hmm. I think because of social media and the internet creating this buffer. Yes, I think being able to respectfully disagree with people mm. 
seems to be a real yeah. challenge for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. It's not even like, oh, I disagree with your, your view. It's, I disagree with your view and you are wrong and, and <laughs> yeah, terrible. And you're a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. yeah, to think of that. And it's people, like, well, people, I, let's have a chat. And so much problems would be solved if we just had a chat. And just uh, yeah. See what we're like. Just let's talk about this. Well, pe- people identify with their views, don't they? But it's like you—you oh, you, yeah. you are not your opinions. Mm-hmm. It's like, people love you, you have to. People like have to protect them. You're attacking them if mm. you think a certain view. You know, you challenge it. But it's you know, it's like hooliganism. Like you know, if you support that football team, it's like oh, if I don't like this player, you're attacking me because I support that. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like people get so much comes over down to stuff. tribalism, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know if it's just from the fact that I used to sort of work in science and stuff, but I actually like being wrong, mm. and it's almost like you have this contradictory feeling where you sort of you feel defensive, and then you think, okay, well, I've learned because if you're wrong, you've learned something. Yeah. Um, yeah, you learn something new and you go, oh. Or or even if you weren't, you thought you, yeah. Even if you, you've all of a sudden realised it's more complex than you thought. You thought, oh, <laughs> yeah. it's this implants plants. And you go, oh, that is still kind of true, mm-hmm. but that's not all the truth. Yeah. There's whole, whole there's new layers there that I didn't think. Well, there, that's, that's a good point. It's like a lot of people just jump to conclusions and then they'll go, that's my opinion of it. And it that it's cemented now mm. yeah. how do you think you can solve that is that an educational thing is that you know I'm just trying to think like how can you fix that in like from a youth perspective if mm-hmm. like kids having that because it's very everyone likes to be in their own little community or the clicks and stuff and that's kind of where it forms but I think do you think it's an educational like a school basis so much of it's tied up with ego though isn't it um, I think I think te- I think we should be teaching more kids how to meditate from a young age. Mm-hmm. I think that would be immensely powerful. Yeah. Um, there's a school. Sorry, I I watched this on Facebook like a few days ago, and the things that circulate around, and there was a school that instead of giving kids detention, they say you gotta meditate for like half an hour. <laughs> and I thought it was genius. I was like, I would love to. Better than sitting around doing nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that's an excellent idea. It's quite a nice positive reinforcement. Like, hey, you shouldn't have, you know. Not handed your homework in, but yeah, it's more—it's more sort of—it's more prevent. You're trying to prevent it in the future, rather preventative rather than pun- punishing, isn't it? Mm. I don't know, I'm sure they would still view view it as punishment. Yeah, making them meditate. But. I mean, to, to my to my own embarrassment, probably it was a long time ago now, probably ten years. Um, I saw a poster at the university that said, um, "There's a conference on spirituality in." early years learning or something like that and it looked a bit fruity in terms of looked like it was to do with non-specific religiosity yeah (laughs) um so i took down the email and i just straightway blurted out this probably rude email (laughs) to the lady going how can you teach nonsense essentially because i was at the when i first you know i I always heard about meditation it always been um related to sort of eastern mysticism or something like that um and she came back with a pretty very good answer about you know I'm, i myself am an atheist and we're actually teaching it from a sort of secular point of view um she said there are people like that there that are trying to sort of impose some beliefs on people but it doesn't have to be like that and i i the more i've looked into meditation especially like from a secular point of view 
it's just it seems like a just a great thing yeah i, I really um really like sam harris's book waking up mm-hmm. um i can't remember what the subheading was but it's discussing secular spirituality yeah and i mean i think so yeah i think i'm interested in spirituality but to me that's it's exploring the nature of consciousness mm-hmm. uh, rather than being you can do that in a secular way without being tied to a um, religion well yeah I mean I've read the book as well and it is and it, it's great um, for one thing it's short yeah, <laughs> yeah that, had a lot, that had a lot going for it um, god I love audio books um, did you have you ever read it no <laughs> <laughs> the last book I read was like Harry Potter <laughs> like when I was like I mean aside from like blogs and web based stuff like actually physically picking a book up yeah oh that's yeah. just it just sounds like torture I, for me I anyway I, I like to buy <laughs> physical books for inspiration and ornament <laughs> but, but I, I i generally consume a lot of books via audio i didn't think i would enjoy podcasts as much as i did i think you're the one that introduced me to it and it was amazing because i i, I don't know like if i was like i'm bored today i'm gonna pick up a book i like, would never cross my mind but i'd never <laughs> have that thought but i'd happily put like a four-hour podcast and just sit there and do my thing and listen to people talk yeah. So I think I would like to try audiobooks. Because there's stuff that I do want to read. There's stuff that I'm, I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think I can sit there and, and read it. But if I was on a train or if I was on traveling or in a car, I would happily put it on. That's it. And there, there, there are so many times where you just, you're cooking food, taking the dog for a walk. Mm. Like you say you're in the car and you can just have, you can just be absorbing all this interesting information while you're doing other things. Yeah. It took me, I made a conscious effort because I'd only, for a, for a long time, I'd just read like textbooks, um, which, you know, gets a bit dry after a while. Um, but, and then a, a few a few years ago, I decided consciously to get back into reading even some fiction, that sort of thing. And it takes a while to get back into it. Like after about 50 pages, I was thinking, Christ, when is this going to end? And it's like 400 pages. And once you're used to it, you're sort of, your attention span comes back. Yeah. Mm. See, I'm trying because I, I don't read particularly quickly, so it just it, I, f- I find it hard to. It doesn't seem like an efficient use of time <laughs> often. But I'm trying. Have, have you ever tried any speed reading? Or cause um, I've, I've been trying. I've been doing sort doing sort of half an hour every morning with a speed reading app. Oh, all right. I try. Uh, it's on on the. You can actually paste um, PDFs or mm-hmm. things into it, so it's you're reading something you want to read anyway but then there it are different, different exercises yeah they do different um i think part of it what they speak talk about is what slows you up is the sub vocalization mm. so you're even though you're not actually speaking in your head as you're reading it you're sort of saying it out loud mm-hmm. in your head yeah they're saying but you can the idea is you can actually you, re, you do actually recognize the word just like the shape of the word and and pick up the meaning you shouldn't actually have to say it in your head. <laughs> you so part of it's that it. it flashes that up, and then, um, but then, like I say, and then part of it's the, the regression mm. as well. Because yeah, it's no good reading really quickly if you're not taking any of it mm-hmm. in either, is it? So. Do, you, do you think that's like the next evolution in reading? Because remember, when I like back, you know, centuries ago, when to read you can only read out loud. People couldn't read in their head. Yeah, yeah. And then when they funny, decided, like. I can read in my head. That was like a huge thing. <laughs> yeah. And like now, if you're saying like the next point would be 
not vocalizing in your head, but you just take that knowledge in and you just keep going. That could be the next point. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't see why not. It might be one of those things you you eventually pick up and and then think, oh wow, I can't believe I used to say every word in my head while I was. Or someone just shines a laser on your brain and go, "There's that book." Yeah, <laughs> dude. Oh my <laughs> god! Morpheus, if there was so... like a little USB thing and it's like bam, just load all that stuff. I in. know kung fu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's this. There's this great. Um, well. Um, the the Amazon Kindle app on your phone, and I have a Kindle as well. If once you, sometimes when you buy a book, it will say add WhisperSync for like, an extra two quid or something, Ooh. and you get the audio book and the physical book. Well, no, the, the electronic copy on um, your Kindle, mm. and they're they're synced up. So you read on your Kindle and you put it down. And you put your headphones in and you press play, and it it reads from where you've just finished. Oh, that's mm. cool. And then you press pause and you pick it up again. It's back. Yeah, it's great. It's really me great. about that. I, I wonder whether that might actually. I wonder if that would increase your reading speed. If if you speed it up and go, you might get used to yeah to well, recognizing the words. Well, on the on the Kindle app on your phone, when it reads it, if you're if you're looking at it, it flashes the word as it says it, mm. and you can choose mm. what sort what speed. Yeah, uh, played around. Interesting to see if doing that often would increase your just normal reading speed. Mm. But um. Uh, what, what, what you mentioned about being interested in like just consciousness in general um, reminded me of this book I read recently called Other Minds and it's, um, I can't remember the name of the author but he's a sort of um, zoologist I think and he studies octopuses and um, just cephalopods in general so like squids and um, cuttlefish as well and he makes a pretty convincing argument for the fact that if you re-ran evolution again multiple times there's no saying what you might get because obviously you have the random mutation the then the selection but because we diverged from cephalopods such a long time ago 650 million years or something like that it's almost like doing the experiment of what would happen if you rerun evolution again and they have like obviously they're so different i mean hmm. they could potentially be an alien but they still have eyes that are very similar to owls they have like hmm. um in fact they're better designed um, than ours in a weird kind of way but they are proper lens eye um, and they're also extremely intelligent um, despite having such a very short lifespan actually even the longest living ones live only like four years or something um, but he sort of goes on to this like flight of fancy of what it would be like to be a, an octopus um, and there are experiments on it and it seems like you know with us you have your your mind is the sort of centre of it and your arms and your legs, they just do what your mind tells them to do. It l seems like with cephalopods, the consciousness is partially distributed across the body, so the arms act autonomously. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, they couldn't do experiments that I can't remember how they did them, but they can do it so that the it has to react in a sort of semi-clever way. The arm has to react... Um, react in a semi-clever so way. So the arm can problem solve. Solve before the, the brain has had a chance wow. to... That's insane. Because wow. a, a long, you basically you get these like, you have the main brain, um, where you'd expect it to be, um, in the head, which is all an octopus Bresley is, yeah. <laughs> with a few arms. And then you get these sort of like ganglia, these sort of like just bundles of smaller brains essentially. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was that was really mm. interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. We had a conversation earlier when I was in the car with um, my brother and his girlfriend, and we're saying that what we was going back to the AI talk, and I was saying, 
if you can, let's say you're at a point, you know, you're in your your deathbed, and they say, hey, we could put you in this body, and that would be that would be you. It would be a simulation of you, whether or not consciousness is a thing yet, because maybe at that point, you know, I don't know if you can transfer consciousness, but let's say, oh no, we got through it because talking about the ancestry, you know, and they're saying they might keep your DNA or something, because like, mm. we're talking about you and your, you got your ancestry thing. Um, yeah, ancestry DNA. Yeah, and I'm saying, could if they said, oh, we can make a simulation of you, like, would you want to do that to have like your being out there? Like, can't confirm if it's yourself. They can't like transport your brain, but if they can load it up on like a USB and then just put mm. it something else. But they, yeah, would it be at the point of death? So there'd never be two versions of you, or would it be? Well, so, think, so I people think, that you're. What's the opposite of ancestors? What, like your descendants? Gen- descendants? descendants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Future, your descendants your... could could open up the Mac and have a little chat with yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> like, that would be weird, wouldn't it? Bus- <laughs> like, like, would you, like would you do that? Photo album. You could you could <laughs> talk to a simulation of your ancestors. Because Robin said. <laughs> Because Robin said that she wouldn't want to see relatives pass, and that might be a thing, or because I would be really interested to see just growth within like two, three decades—not uh, decades, centuries. Growth of what? Just like technology or people evolution. Like, will we go through this cyberpunk world? Oh, what you mean? <laughs> right. So what you're saying is, if you could upload your actual consciousness to a machine, would you do it? Yeah. That's what you're saying, right? That's different. Yeah. Mm. Oh God. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the idea. Depends if my wife says or not. <laughs> but then, like, you'll never be able to, like, you can't like self-destruct because your consciousness is on, is in the cloud. Like, someone could just download you and put you on. I think that goes back to you remember that Futurama episode where like um, Fry wants a girlfriend and he goes into the like the internet and he downloads Lucy Lou onto like a fake you <laughs> oh yeah and, like, a blank canvas that yeah. yeah but that would be it like would you ever consent to having your consciousness in like the banks of the cloud god I'm not sure well presumably as well the the cloud would allow your you know your fake neurons to fire at such then a faster what if, rate what if you decide you want to what if you want to die eventually? <laughs> <laughs> You're just your consciousness is just stuck in this machine. This well, yeah. loop. And if and if computers run a thousand times faster than the biological processes in your brain, then you'd get bored in about two months. It would be yeah. the equivalent of like <laughs> yeah, four hundred yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. You're just trapped for eternity <laughs> in this boredom. <laughs> yeah. There's a, so probably a no. I'm going with no at the moment. Well, yeah. I mean, I had this conversation with a similar conversation at least with. It's like, would would you extend your lifespan indefinitely if if they could, if you know, if they could just give you an injection that would add another hundred years to it? Will your body still be good? Because I feel like I'd happily go into like a full bionic thing just so I have like <laughs> sweet legs and like I could just <laughs> yeah. climb mountains in a day. Yeah, like, I guess, I guess that's wanna... kind of different. Now, now you're putting my consciousness <laughs> in a cyborg. Yeah, I'd want to <laughs> like, I want to run at like four hundred miles an hour. Yeah, and well, just... I... Oh, I might sign up for that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want just my mind to be in the cloud. Just, you're just if, I, if, I've got, if I've got AI. a robot body, <laughs> yeah. No, like a robot, like they can design you however you want. Done. I'd I, want I'm, I'm I'd, a robot I'd body. I'd want full carbon fiber legs, like hydraulics. I want to be a rhino. 
<laughs> I, want to be a a I want to be a transformer. Would you want to have your co your consciousness in an animal? If that was an option, like, do you want to be a giraffe? I'd probably. I wouldn't be a giraffe. I'd be a bird. Naked mole rat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The noble slug. <laughs> Do you know there's a there's an antelope called a Kirk's Dick Dick? <laughs> <laughs> of course you know that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be that. Oh, there, oh, no, there is a antelope, but I think it's just called Dick Dick. I don't no, think it's called Kirk's Dick Dick. It's absolutely called Kirk's Dick Dick. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can shorten it if you like. But. Animal. I've always thought I would resemble some sort of like an elephant. Like That would be yeah. my I've always animal. thought silverback gorilla was my um, yeah. spirit animal. What's your spirit <laughs> animal, man? <laughs> Yeah, I've often thought um, leopard. Leopard, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll give you I can <laughs> dig a leopard. I can dig it. So, Matt, tell us about your PhD thesis. Oh, right. Um, how, how, have, you, have you found ways of describing it to lay people effectively? Uh, people tend to ju just go, uh, what? Well, actually, so I, I do give outreach presentations sometimes. There's an astronomy club nearby where I've given a couple of talks and I've given some at UEA, which basically do exactly that, the sort of 45-minute presentations on the basics of what I do. Mm. Um, I get some pretty clever questions at the end, which leads me to believe some, at least some of people have understood it. What is um, the title? What's the subject? Um, well, I, I call that talk, what is a photon? Um, and basically I sort of, um, go through because my research is in a field called quantum physics, which I don't know if Sounds you've badass. heard of. <laughs> it is pretty, yeah. pretty badass. Um, but essentially at the end of the 1800s, um, most physicists or most scientists in, um, thought that we were coming to the end of physics. So Newton had describe the way the planets work and his laws of motion and you can fire a cannonball and you can predict almost exactly where it will land um there are some questions you can't answer precisely like actually if you've got um a sun with multiple planets going around it you you can't um with arbitrary well you can't exactly know the location of any of those in the future um but you can solve them with essentially a computer um so so what that means is they thought they were coming to the end of physics they thought the world was completely describable what they call like deterministic which means that if you know the current state of the universe and the laws of physics and you just press play you can predict with arbitrary accuracy any future state um then einstein and heisenberg and schrodinger they some other people as well came along and actually started like tugging at these like loose ends and it turned out that actually none of what people believed about the way physics was was true and in fact the way most people think of elementary particle physics is that there is um there's it just is like snooker balls mm. going around and like bumping into each other and interacting with forces and things like that repelling and stuff but actually it's like a lot it's a lot weirder than that you get well for one thing particles so like an electron for example it doesn't have a specific tra trajectory if you look at it one second and it's there and then you look at it another second it's somewhere else it, it didn't take the path that you would imagine a cannonball took for example it takes all possible paths and all of these multiple histories interfere with each other and they 
um, produce results that um, that are sort of completely counterintuitive. Um, and that's that's basically what quantum physics is. It's the way to describe the world in this sort of. Well, it turns out that the, the subatomic world has an element of randomness that you can't get around. Mm. It's not randomness in the sense of you flick a coin and it's heads or tails because that's not really true randomness because if you had a computer that was saw exactly the force of your thumb and saw exactly the angle that was hit, it could actually predict whether it's heads or tails. It's not true randomness. In the quantum world, there is no possible way to predict um, right. uh, whether or not a certain outcome you can only predict the probability that an electron will be here in the future um, so it was pretty revolutionary at the time um, yeah that's amazing <laughs> it was actually quite it was quite interesting because I was talking to, with um, someone yesterday about there's a website I think it's called Babel or something mm. and it's, it's saying that every possible like they said on this site Every book that's ever been written or ever will be written is on the site. And this is because the computer's generated just um, so many, just like, like there is limited amount of text sequences that have been put in place. So no matter what you think that the book could be about, it's already been written because it's already generated that text formation. So they're saying that actually language and text is limited. There is an unlimited amount of um, sequences. So is that like mm. the infinite monkeys type thing? You know, yeah, they're just randomly think of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there is a number at the end. Like there is going to be, there is limited. There's not unlimited amount hmm. of um, text sequences because there's only so many out letters, so many alpha like um, things. Words. So, so, if, words. so if we if we wrote a poem now that was like a page long, and you searched Babel for it, it would be It'd in there be already. It would already be in there. Because it's already generated that text sequence. There was a young man from Nantucket. <laughs> even like, and, I mean, it will include gibberish. It's like, it could just be like so many. Again, with the monkey wow. example. Yeah, it's just amazing. That's amazing. I, like, I haven't checked it out yet, but I just thought that was so interesting. <laughs> Matt, in your, your research though, didn't you do something with twisting light? Um, yeah, so, um, so we're at, at the end of these, the 1900s where people thought particles were billiard balls, um, most people's opinion of what light is is that it's a wave, sort of like the ripples on the surface of a pond. Um, and waves sort of interfere. Like, So if you dropped two stones at the same time in just different locations on a, on a lake, eventually the two concentric you know, rings that have appeared around them, they eventually interact with each other. And if one wave is going up at the same time, the other wave is going down, you just get a, a sort of momentary sort of passage of stillness. Um, now Newton actually predated that that um, idea of waves. That idea of waves came from someone called Maxwell, which who was around about eight, he was a Scottish mathematician around in the eighteen hundreds. But Newton predated him, and Newton thought that light came in what he called called like corpuscles. So basically, same sort of thing, snooker balls. He thought there was a, a light or a candle produced these these sort of like you know little. Um, balls that would hit off things and then enter your eye and the reason he thought that is because he sort of knew pretty well what he was doing when he polished um, mirrors he said that things look blurry because these billiard balls are hitting this rough surface and they're bouncing off in all random directions and you're getting a random but then when you polish it smooth it's a flat surface and the 
and you can see images because which which sort of makes sense um but it actually turns out that the the truth is a combination of these two things depending on what experiment you do light sometimes behaves like a particle and it sometimes behaves like a wave and you can actually construct experiments where it behaves like both or neither and um these these particles of light are called photons and um, that's the current sort of terminology um actually einstein was the one of the first people to describe photons in in that way um in 1905 in fact that was the only thing he ever won the nobel prize for um he did loads of stuff which some of which was pretty amazing but that was the only thing that was experimentally verified um at the time and was therefore given you know he got the nobel prize for that um anyway so these these particles of light they have properties so they have properties like energy um and energy is exactly the same as color so what that means is if you have a photon that's red it's very low energy and if you have a, a photon that's blue it's very high energy and you get things in between and then you that's only a very small part of the spectrum and you can actually have particles that are more and less energetic um, that you can't see with your eye but can be detected um, so ultraviolet radiation for example that's even more energetic than blue light um, and a lot of things can be understood just from that sort of simple picture um, but it also has other properties as well so one of the properties is um, spin and essentially spin is roughly analogous to what you consider to be a spin so like a spinning ball um, but it turns out photons can only spin in one of two ways it can either spin left or it can spin right um, with a with a it's not quite right to say this but with a cert, with one certain speed so any time you measure a photon it will either have left spin or right spin so people realize that you could encode information in that way so you could say let's call left-handed light zero and let's call right-handed light one and then you can send um, information in that way um, now then it turned out that in the 70s it was discovered that there was a a different type of twist that light could have and this light this this type of spin was called orbital um, angular momentum compared with this spin angular momentum that was mentioned a second ago and that can not only be left and right but it can be left one left two left three left four left mm. five left five and then in the right you can have left uh, you can have right one right two right three right four so really there's an infinite number of ways that you can twist light in this particular way so people sort of were really excited at the time because they thought it meant that you could encode essentially an infinite amount of information just into into a single photon mm. um which roughly speaking is true um but it turns out there are fundamental reasons why you can't convey all of that information and a paper that i wrote recently basically had an upper bound on what that is um roughly speaking you can encode you can encode about three times as much information into a single photon than the current best experiments do but i said but my paper says no further either you if you start to encode more information than that then you actually get a reduction in information for some strange reason can can you can you think of a visual 
metaphor to explain the different types of left spin, right spin, yeah. or is it just measurable, or can you actually think of? No, you know, so you can you can think of it, and the reason it's called spin and orbital is that if you have a um, a, a big sort of square on the table here with a th with a thin film of say oil, you can put these little um, Teflon beads, micro-sized beads, and if you, then you shine laser a laser light on top of it. If you if your light has left or right-handed spin, some of the light is absorbed by these Teflon particles and they start to spin on their own axis. Whereas if you construct a beam that has no spin angular momentum but it does have this orbital angular momentum, these Teflon particles, they start to orbit the centre of the beam. Hmm. So on the centre of the beam, they are exactly equivalent. But that's how they are. That's how this angular momentum becomes sort of physical in terms of how it interacts with matter. Mm. Wow, that's really <laughs> amazing. Do you think it could be used? Um, can you decode it in a way that you can use um, those photons as data transfers? Like, let's say I want to just stream information to you with just like a tiny like photon, and then you'll just be like, you'd have that. Well, a, a sing, yeah, so one of the one of the common sort of analogies that people used to say in the field is that one of the common questions was can you encode can you put a full picture in one photon? Mm. Is there enough information? Um, and I don't know about the actual numbers, but you can certainly fit a bloody huge amount of information in, in a single photon. Um, but if you fully utilize the current technology, some experiments have shown that it was done in Vienna, I think. So if you sit on one side of a river with a receiver and on the and on the other bank of the river with a transmitter, you can send something like six DVDs per second worth of information. Wow. So it's a huge amount. And yeah, it's currently just in the sort of beginning stages, but it at least is possible. That could be like the next... Next fiber optics. Yeah, the next <laughs> yeah. data transfer is just something just absolutely incredible mm. amazing how we can utilize this sort of information yeah. the, the, like, the, the thing that I always found amazing about it is that I'm just like a bit of a, a, like a lowly theorist so I just sit in an office and do some maths on a piece of paper or do some computer simulations and stuff when you like look at the people that do the actual experiments you're like oh my god this is like this is real what we mm. what we predicted those years ago that's it turns out to be the truth or right because there's quite a bit of an interesting interplay between sort of theorists and experimentalists. Um, it tends to be quite different, actually different, very different disciplines. Yeah, they really are. Um, and you do get some people that have hybrid roles. And it's, it's always very impressive to me to see those people because I think it does, you know, it does attract how different can types. You develop, how can you develop the theory without an experiment in mind? Mm. Uh Surely they go they go together. Yeah. Well, there's it. No, well, it normally happens in one of two different ways. Either an experiment will be done, and it displays some behaviour that is not expected by the current theory. So the theoreticians will get on it and go, "Well, we'll try and work out the, what, what the point is there." Yeah. Um, or yeah, or the other way around. So some years ago, me and my PhD supervisor and some of the people we worked with, we came up with a. A method for creating this orbital angular momentum 
light with orbital angular momentum um and we sort of we put it out there we put it we i presented it at a conference in glasgow and we put submitted a couple of papers and stuff and we got quite a lot of interest in it and then some experiment experimentalists came to us after one of my talks and said all right well how would we actually build this and we were like, well, don't know. <laughs> right. We were hoping so, you would know. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I never realised that. So, so you can't. You sort of have a, a thought experiment and think yeah. this, this could be happening. Mm-hmm. If it were happening, this would be how the mathematics would work. Yeah. So if someone thinks of a way of testing it, you they can the refer. They can then refer to this this mathematics to check if it's if their experimentation was yeah worked so exactly so what what we actually did we said if you take three nano antennas which are like metal rods essentially but they are nano so a few billionths of a centimeter no right a few millionths of a centimeter pretty small um and you put them in this certain arrangement and then you excited them by sort of shining certain light on them or doing sort of like um, various other bits and bobs it would generate orbital angular momentum in a certain direction. So then they came to us and said, well, we can't do nano rods like that. It's experimentally, we can't do it. Would it work if this was the case? And we said, well, not really, but maybe if you did it this way. So there was a bit of like back and forth um, because obviously if you're just doing computer simulations, you can do whatever you want and you can run the simulation with any, without any constraints. And how accurate are those computer simulations? Is that like quite a quite bound by technology at the moment or can you do basically whatever you want um so there's uh, the main technique that's used in most of physics for computer simulations is um uh, something basically you take the area that so say you you want to look look at what these nano rods are doing you'll place your nano rods into the simulation and then you put a box around it and you make that box into like a thousand or a million tiny little boxes and you solve the equations in each of those boxes and then just move forward just a tiny fraction of a second and then you solve it all again and then you do it you keep doing it so it's like an iterative like an algorithm type thing but these are really like computationally like very expensive in terms of they take even very basic ones take eight hours or days sometimes um so yeah that's so cool mm. <laughs> that's amazing wow <laughs> yeah it's cool stuff um, so what do you do for a living though? <laughs> 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 oh god yeah went to a comedy show yesterday did you <laughs> like, I'd, I'd always thought of a comedy show i was like oh i'd hate to get uh i'd hate to be the one that the uh, comedian picks out and just just rips a new one. <laughs> was that you? It was me. Oh, oh no. Were you it, wearing was, something? Like, were you just sitting in the front row? Yeah, me. just <laughs> yeah. yeah, just sitting in the front row. It was alright. It was really funny though. But he did it to a couple of other people, and one of them got super defensive. <laughs> and then his wife started chipping, like chipping in, <laughs> defending him. Oh, that's embarrassing. I was like, oh, no. You just got to take it, haven't you? You can't really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was funny. I'll give it to him. Because for one thing, they've got a microphone, so if you're shouting, people I, can't hear there's you. There's no, you can't, you can't, if you defend yourself, you look like an idiot. One of my friends got ripped by Jimmy Carr, I think. Really? And uh, he was like, look at you all dressed up, you're really smart, aren't you? What do you work on, a call centre? And at the time, we did all work yeah, call centres. Yeah. 
And he had to go, yes, I do actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like, oh, fair enough. I thought, <laughs> I just thought, I was I went with the tact, I'm just going to be so polite that he feels bad. <laughs> so do you enjoy your job? I went, yes, I do, actually. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Passive aggressive. <laughs> do you? Oh, dear. It was funny, though. And then you need to like laugh aggressively when they do it for someone else. Because yeah. <laughs> then the guy will think, this is better picking on this guy. It seems to be getting better reactions. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he did do well. There was, there was one woman... He was sort of heckling. She was just so drunk. Oh, <laughs> she, no. had a, she had a glass of glass of wine. <laughs> Alex was sitting next to me. He went, "Look at her wine. Look how much she's got." <laughs> and it was it was one of those big glasses, and it was full to the top. <laughs> oh, the whole bottle no. of red wine. Booze. <laughs> but he um he, he handled it so well. But then towards the end, because he was he was introducing each act yeah. and then going in between. But towards the end, he was sort of encouraging it. He just he just just took ownership of it made it part of the act <laughs> i i don't know if it's just an act of like like um just like self-flagellation but i would quite like to find some little town in the middle of nowhere where no one knows me and try to do a stand-up set yeah because if it did, if it started going really badly after five minutes you could just run out the door <laughs> and get in your car and, and yeah. go no that didn't happen that was someone else that looked like me yeah I, I wouldn't want to know what to talk about what stories yeah it's hard isn't it and you have to you'd have to bomb just to work out what works yeah I feel like it'd be interesting seeing how comedians do test their new material because mm-hmm. a lot of it's going to not work they it? Do, don't they? I guess it's working out how to handle when they don't work in a elegant way sort yeah. of moving on and going oh well that didn't work <laughs> move on to the next one but there is something there's something about there's something about admitting that you're trying to be funny yeah it's sort of another it's one thing doing it on a at least like if you're giving like a best man speech or something like everyone's on your side and they want to laugh whereas like you, if you're going up there I feel like the people have just got their arms crossed going go on then make me laugh funny man yeah. <laughs> and there is a difference between that I think it was like uh, Bert Kreischer I don't know if you watch his stuff he's on like Joe Rogan Tom Segura and, yeah. and they do, They spoke about a bit where it's different where you go to a comedy club and people pay to go and then people that just like turn up like in a mall or something Yeah, it's yeah. like if someone if you just do it for free at a place people will probably be more likely just to have a laugh mm-hmm. but then if you pay to see a show you're like it's gotta be good <laughs> so you can't you can't start charging I guess if you're my brother you. was telling me about this I think it was a radio show or a podcast or something where famous they got famous comedians on and said, "Tell about tell us about a time you bombed." Mm. And I mean, at least in Russell Brand's, you know, his original autobiography, the bookie work, there's a whole section on when he was just, you know, when he was mad. You know, he was on stage and he brought like dead animals on stage and was like Jeez. hitting them with hammers, oh and, like my God. throwing them into the audience and stuff, <laughs> and, like cutting himself. Oh. oh. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds... Christ. I mean, obviously, he was off his tits on drugs, but... It's pretty, I don't know. It's pretty bizarre. Oh. I mean, maybe it was funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's been an hour. I think maybe Has that's it? a good place to end. Okay. Maybe we should yeah, throw, a, throw a dead animal at the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was awesome. Yeah. That was really I'm, cool. I've enjoyed this chat. Yeah, cool. Me too. Hey, thank you for joining us. That's all right. Matt. We never, mm. I never actually introduced you. Oh, yeah. Matt Coles. I'm Matt. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Faffing About. And uh, yeah, 
let's end. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>